Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world today. Thank you for listening. This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. I hope you're having a great start to your February. It is February the 3rd, I believe, 2024. So we are well into this new year. And I hope it was a great one for you. January was a little bit of hit and miss there with the podcast. We had some dodgy weather to say the least, but we are back swinging, running and gunning. I just want to let you know before we get started that you can find the Marketplace of Ideas podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're talking Google Play, Podbean, iTunes, you name it, we are there rocking and rolling. I don't know if the kids still say that or if the kids say anything at all, but nonetheless, thanks for listening. Today's episode is going to be an interesting one because it's got some layers like a lasagna or a tiramisu, but bear with me because if you get through all those layers, it's going to be tasty. Um, so today we're going to be chatting about the importance of pop culture and we're going to be taking a look at various staples within um, pop culture. Now we're talking about North American pop culture, America, Canada, uh, the West as it were, British, New Zealand, mostly developing countries, but there's also subcultures and subgenres within all cultures, and pop culture is no different. So, to give you a little bit of a uh, background, I was raised in Canada in the 80s and the 90s by Caribbean parents who traveled from Trinidad and Grenada to set up a way of life for themselves so they could have a better better opportunity for themselves and their families, i.e. myself, my brother. And a lot of people would often ask me, why did my parents leave the Caribbean? Why did they leave the white sandy beaches for minus 40? And my father always told me that it was funny how people who had never been to the Caribbean thought that it was all people smoking weed and hanging out on the beach and just living it up. When in reality, it was people that were working really hard, working for very little money, sometimes, if, unless you worked for the government or you were a teacher, a nurse, doctor, engineer, lawyer, there wasn't a lot of in-between. You were either rich or poor. And if you were born poor, as my parents were, you were going to die that way. And kudos to them for saying, I ain't going out like that. And so my mother came here um, from Trinidad to Toronto, met my dad, who came from Grenada, and then they met, came to Alberta, because my father was working in construction, and that's where the work was. But as they were making their way to the Canadian shores, something happened uh, along that way. My father became a born-again Christian, evangelical, and subsequently my brother and I um, were ushered into the faith. And though I still believe, I've got a lot of questions and concerns about where the the, the faith is going in the West anyways. But that's for a whole other topic, a whole other, a whole other podcast. But what happened subsequently when my father became a Christian and became born again, he forsook the world. Now, when it comes to uh, Christendom or Catholicism or anything to do with the Abrahamic uh, religions, there is an idea that you are set apart, that you follow the tenets of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, the um, Sermon on the Mound, all of that sort of stuff. And one of the big bads in the Bible is that the world, society, culture that is adjacent, apprehensive to Christ's teachings is bad. It's evil, it's horrible, it's awful. Stay away from it, don't touch it, don't think about it, and don't you dare engage with any of its music, its movies, its fashion, all of that sort of stuff. Now, I don't really agree with that, the fact that all pop culture is evil and bad and, you know, it's going to send you straight to hell because you live in this world. Well, the Bible talks about not being conformed to the ways of the world, meaning don't allow yourself to fall into the way the rest of the quote-unquote quote unquote, world thinks. And whatever that could mean could definitely mean different things for different people. Um, a great example is I went to a church that did not really promote 
dancing and singing. Yet I've been to other churches that love getting down with the, you know, the drums and the electrical kits and stuff. I've been to churches that only had organs and pianos. And then there were other churches that were like, we have no problem with every instrument being played under the sun, screamo to rap to jazz. And then there were some that said we only could handle um, gospel, old school hymns. So if you've ever been a part of a, of a church culture, there's a lot of nuance there. And subsequently what happened is my father, when he became a Christian, like I was saying before, got rid of a lot of his music. We're talking Marvin Gaye, we're talking Lionel Richie, we're talking all of the good stuff. And my brother and I had to suffer through just insufferable um, gospel music that wasn't the good gospel music. It was the very boring, very monotone, very stay away from everything fun, do what sucks, and then you'll get to heaven. And it just wasn't that appealing for a young child, and, you know, my brother included. So, so you know, unfortunately, we rebelled against a lot of that music because it just wasn't good. I remember a quote that I heard that somebody had said, uh, why does the devil get all the good music? Uh, it's on a documentary on Netflix that talks about the rise of the Christian right and their voting prowess in the States. But what happened was in the eighties and the nineties, you had something called the satanic panic, similar to the red scare in the, I believe the fifties, forties and the fifties where people were being accused of communism, a McCarthyism, McCarthyism, if I could get that right. But what we had in Canada at the time and also America was the idea that any and all um, popular IPs from intellectual properties, from Disney to Warner Brothers to, uh, to Marvel to Star Wars was somehow bad. That if it didn't somehow point your attention back to God, that you were sinning. You know, you were grinning and sinning all the way, all the way to hell. And as you know, as you get older and as you mature, you realize that that was just a, a fear tactic, that if you can get people sort of afraid well into, uh, into the church, you can kind of keep them there. The problem with that is when you bring people into a faith based on fear, pretty soon it's going to be so difficult to maintain that level of fear. One, for your mental health, just to, just to have the ability to actually think independently and critically on your own about various subjects and topics and to actually trust yourself can be very prohibited in a lot of high influence and high, high stress, high stress, um, religions and faiths. So what does this have to do with pop culture? I mean, what the heck does, you know, my dad's hang up against Miami Vice and not letting us watch the sex scenes. I mean, as most a responsible father wouldn't for any of these movies. But what, what, what's the point? Well, the point was, growing up, when you weren't allowed to watch certain movies, watch certain TV shows, read certain books, engage with certain comic books, play with various toys because of the, dare I say, satanic um, bent, as it was seen to some of these properties, you missed out on a lot of stuff. And so one of the things that could be very hurtful when you're just trying to come up in, in a society, particularly when you're a different color and you're just trying to fit in, you're a first generation immigrant, your parents came from another country, so they have that identity. You were born into the, the country that you're living, but you may not resemble the majority of the color. So you might be East Indian or, you know, Malaysian or whatever the case is. And here you are still eating traditional foods from your parents' home country. You might even be dressing the same way. You might even speak the same language or have a certain accent, but you are surrounded by predominantly white kids and you want to fit in desperately. Nothing is more apparent um, of how, how society sometimes run, is run than the lunchroom of an elementary seeing kids sort of break off into the cool and the nerdy and the rich and the not so rich and the middle class and, you know, the, the theater art geek kids and the sports jocks and, you know, the artistic kids and all that. So 
it's it's definitely a playground to see what will happen in the office space and when you you head out into the real world. And so you're desperately trying to fit in. You're trying to eat the same food. I remember uh, asking my mother if I could get the white kids lunch, which was Lunchables and Dunkaroos and Sun Sunripe and all of these products that were bought by people that had maybe a little bit more money because it didn't make a lot of sense if you were a mom trying to feed your two, three, four, or five children um, lunches, you're buying things in bulk. And a lot of those brands that I mentioned didn't come in very, very large um, sample sizes. It was like, oh, you get like six in a in a box and you know, it, you're paying mostly for the advertising and the marketing. It was either General Mills or Sunripe or PepsiCo. And and those foods also had a lot of salt, a lot of sugar, a lot of sodium. So it, it just didn't make a lot of sense. But try telling that to a five or six-year-old kid who just wants to fit in. The same thing with fashion, the same thing with music. You just wanted to be a part of it. And what caused a lot of problems was not only were you trying to fit in, but you were being told that school it wasn't the place for that. All right? You're there to learn. You're not there for a fashion show, which I have, you know, there's a there's a podcast episode coming about that. But you you kind of were because it was a, a breeding it was a, a I don't want to say a breeding ground, but it was definitely your an experience that you were going to have and how you were going to relate to people as you got older. And so all of that culminated into this thing where my brother and I were being raised in a household that did not appreciate, quote unquote, the arts. There wasn't a lot of importance put on uh, movies or television shows, even though we watched a lot of TV. There wasn't a lot of importance put on music outside of the Christian world. It was, if, if it was secular and it sounded too good and it gave you this sort of, you know, the beat and the bop and, and rock and roll was definitely out. I remember... There was a, a gentleman that was living next door to us. Uh, her, his mother was from Trinidad as well. And I remember telling him, he was listening to, it was either Guns N' Roses' first album or Metallica. And I remember telling him, you know, heavy metal is of the devil. And he was like, he said, bullshit. You know, like he's, and as you get older, you realize that this music has very little, if anything, to do with, with the devil. I mean, yes, maybe, you know, Highway to Hell might be a little bit on the nose from ACDC or uh, KISS, which I don't know if they're, they're accurate. That's the acronym for their name, which is Knights and Satan Service. I mean, some, some of it is a little bit, yeah, okay, I got you. I, I see what you're saying there. But a lot of it was based on fear. And so what I wanted to talk about was just, um, firstly, you know, the importance of, of, of culture and why it's so important to kind of maintain it and to keep it. We're going to delve into some physical media, but I just wanted to give you a little basis as to where my apprehension for um, kind of not wanting to catch up to engage with, with pop culture. I feel like in my 30s and 40s, I've had to almost go into warp speed to try to keep up with this stuff. Now, to be to be fair... Um, even though my father and my mother did not want us reading comic books or cartoons, we still gave into the glutton and just the, the overwhelming amount of content that was out there in the eighties. And you got to understand this was the only way you could get a lot of this stuff was through the television or radio or movies or print. There wasn't, you know, YouTube and Instagram, and Facebook, and Twitter and Twitch and TikTok and you know, Spotify and all these other avenues. It was primarily three major outlets, um, print, radio, and TV, and movies. So let's say four. And you weren't able to get it whenever you wanted. Like, you would have to wait. I, my daughter was asking me with terror in her eyes about how how terrible it would, would be to have to wait if you missed a show. Why couldn't you just go on Netflix and, you know... Um, bring it up. Why couldn't you go on YouTube and just type it in? There was, there was no such thing as typing anything in. You had a TV that you had to get up to check. You had the TV guy that would show up to your house. Like it's just, just the, the, the look on her face was just priceless because you know, what do you mean? You, you, 
you had to wait until next week to see your show of Knight Rider if you missed it. Or what do you mean, like, once the season was over, you'd have reruns? What's a rerun? You know, it's just that level of innocence, but also awareness that, my gosh, my kids are never not going to know a world where they had 24-hour access to anything they could think of if they have access to the internet. But nonetheless, so so yeah, um, pop culture was not very welcomed in the house. And so my brother and I we would sneak it in. So I had a comic book collection for as long back as I could remember. I learned how to read through comic books. It really helped my vocabulary, helped me understand the world through the eyes of Steve Ditko, Stan Lee, and Jack Kirby, as I like to call the Trinity. And comic books in particular were very important uh, within pop culture and within the zeitgeist because it was showcasing a lot of things that were going on in culture that was very hard to describe to children. So when we're talking about racism, for example, it's Black History Month and, and and a lot of advertising out there is trying to showcase the turmoil and the trouble that you know, black people have gone through. And it was very hard to explain that with the children's narrative. And so you would see artists like Neil Adams, who passed away, rest in peace, who worked for DC, who would showcase um, racism with the, green, with the black Green Lantern that they introduced in the 80s. They would showcase um, artists such as um, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Jack Kirby would work on if I'm not mistaken, Black Panther. And they would showcase the issues he would have. And and the juxtaposition of a black king coming from a land that had never been colonized, that had never been given into European um, dictatorship. And the terror of Jim Crow and the terror of apartheid. Like, think about what it would have been like if Africa had never been colonized and subjugated. What would it look like? Would it, would it look like Wakanda? Even with warring factions of various countries on that continent, what would happen? And so I learned a lot about racism and bigotry through the comic books. I learned about Peter Parker having problems with girls. I had problems with girls. Uh, the fact that Luke Cage was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. He was lost in the system. Now, I've never, thankfully, been lost in the prison system, but a large majority of black men and women have within America. The the judicial system, which was created without them in mind by the time they came to the shores of America through the transatlantic slave trade. So there was a lot that was being explained through the pages of comic books and through that art form to really open your eyes to see what it looked like from a child's perspective. And if we didn't have a lot of that, those mediums from DC and IDW and Dark Horse and Image, you'd you'd be a little bit hard-pressed to be able to explain this to children. And so the importance of comic books couldn't be overstated. The importance of television as a medium to showcase what was going on when the... The student, uh, the student riders were going to Alabama and the Deep South and Birmingham during the 1960s. The Freedom Bus Riders were being threatened. Bull Connor was a notorious racist who worked, who was, I believe, the um, county sheriff in that town where Martin Luther King would, would go to march. And it wasn't until people were able to see what was going on within culture from the viewpoint of television that was being broadcast into people's households, they could actually see the terror of the dogs being sicked on children and fire hoses that were ripping off hair and, and you know people's skin just because the descendants of slaves wanted to be treated equally. It, it changed the way people saw racism because before it was just hearsay. It was controlled by the press, which was very, you know, very, um, very geared towards showing, you know, the white ideal. So now you have this medium that comes along with television and people are able to see in real time what's going on. What is happening? Word to Marvin Gaye, what's going on, right? And these brothers and sisters are able to take their fight into the hearts and minds of people 
and are able to say, hey, you know what? These people that are being mistreated, they they just want to be treated equally. They're not they're not after our jobs. They're not after um, you know our livelihoods. They just want what what everybody else has. And it it took a lot for people to wake up to that. But had it not been for television, good luck. Recently, speaking of television, there was an executive who passed away. Um, he was the creator of All in the Family. Let's see. Norman Lear. Uh, he was born on July 27, 1922. He died just before Christmas, December 5th, uh, 2023. He was the creator of TV's All in the Family. And he, uh, he was 101. And one of the things that people need to realize is that shows like The Jeffersons, Mowdy, Good Times, Sanford and Son, Archie Bunker's Place, All in the Family were shows that put up a mirror to American society and said, this is what we are right now. And the character of Archie Bunker was a uh, loudmouth bigot. He was a racist. The lead character, Archie Bunker, was an uneducated bigot who believes in every stereotype he has ever heard. His wife, Edith, is sweet, but not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And their daughter, Gloria, and their husband, Mike, all live in a working-class home. Unfortunately for Archie, he can't avoid the people he disdains. His son-in-law, who Archie calls Meathead, is, un is an unemployed student and of Polish descent. The Jeffersons next door are black. Edith's cousins, Mowdy, is a feminist, and later, his parents... And uh, sorry, and later his 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 his, uh, his partners in the tavern are Jewish. So the show was unbelievably successful in showcasing how we as a society needed to break down stereotypes. It ran from 1971 to 1979, and it was. Let me see how many Emmys did this thing win. It uh, was ridiculously popular. So let's look at the cultural impact. So as one of U.S. television's most acclaimed and groundbreaking programs, All in the Family has been referenced or parodied in countless other forms of media, references on other sitcoms, including The 70s Show, The Simpsons, and The Family Guy. Popular t-shirts, buttons, and bumper stickers showing O'Connor's image and Farrakhali promoting Archie Bunker for president appeared around the time of the 1972 presidential election. I'm reading this from Wikipedia. In 1998, All in the Family was honored on a 33-cent stamp by the USP USPS. Archie and Edith Bunker's chairs are on display in the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. The originals have been purchased by the show's set designer for a few dollars at a local Goodwill thrift shop and were given to the Smithsonian uh, in 1978. It's cost producers thousands of dollars to recreate replicas to replace the originals. Then U.S. President Richard Nixon can be heard discussing the show, specifically the 1971 episode Writing the President and Judging Books by Covers, on the one infamous Watergate tapes. Rapper Redman has made reference to Archie Bunker in a few of his songs, especially his smoking in large chairs. Mad parodied the series in his 1973 special entitled Gall in the Family Fair, which included free... Flex disc uh, record so the reader could listen to the parody as it read. Um, the show in particular take, it took on a lot of issues when it came to race, when it came to uh, when it came to feminism, when it came to sexism. It was, it was probably one of the most influential shows at its time period. And the reason it was is because, one, television was getting a lot more affordable. It wasn't just for the rich anymore, so more people could afford it, which meant more people could have the same sort of communal attitudes towards culture. And that's something that we are sorely lacking in. In an episode of... Um, Oh, Toy Galaxy, which is run by Dan Larson. He is a 
commentator, pop culture critic and pundit, as well as a comic book writer, but his YouTube channel, Secret Galaxy, has about close to 300,000 followers. And in it, he talked about in one of his episodes that was referring to Saturday morning cartoons and why it was so um, formative for the pop culture we see today. One of the things that people have to realize is that in the 80s and the 90s, during the Reaganomics and the free-reigning market in the United States, toy companies were allowed to basically produce 22-minute <laughs> toy commercials for their, um, for their properties. So shows like He-Man, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, Brave Star, what else? Um, Strawberry Shortcake, Pound Puppies, Cabbage Patch Kids, Gem, Transformers, um, the Smurfs, you know, uh, Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos, Mr. T, Superman and Friends, Spider-Man, Batman, uh, every uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, every company that was, was a part of entertainment, children's entertainment in particular, we had Visionaries, we had, you know, uh, Spectors and cops and you know it, it was it was insane and when you tell people what we were exposed to in the 80s when it came to television and media they just don't believe it because we all would gather around if you were a kid between the ages of 3 to 13 Saturday was cartoons from the time you got up if you were able to do some chores you know and get all that out of the way if your parents were cool, you know, you could be able to watch television from about eight or nine in the morning till about five at night. Like you'd be glued to that thing. And we did that. Um, and, you know, not every Saturday, but most Saturdays we would be doing that. And we'd get Ghostbusters and, you know, um, we would get G.I. Joe and we would get all of these shows. And you didn't understand time through analog clocks because not, not a lot of people had digital but you understood what time it was in the daytime by what TV show was on so I knew when, when wrestling was coming on that was around 5 o'clock on a Saturday that meant okay most of the cartoon shows are done we're going to get into the news excuse me there was a modeling show that would come on uh, I forget what it was called but it was like fashion TV or something like that so that was your signal to say okay 5 o'clock wrestling is on and it'll probably go till 6, the news is on, boom, we're good to go. And maybe you'd go outside and play if you were so, so lucky. And th this was without cable. This was without satellite. This was with just three, maybe four channels if you got the French channel. And what would happen with that is that people would watch these shows, like I said, The Jeffersons, All in the Family, Different Strokes, The Cosby Show, you name it. And we were all getting the same the same news. We were all reading the, the New York Times or, or uh, the New Yorker or the Edmonton Journal or the Sun or the Inquirer or the Inquisitor, whatever it was. People were getting the same information. Now, we're so fractured, I could literally be in the same house as my wife, or my children, or my friends or extended family, and each of us could be watching and having a different experience culturally based on what we like. We can put ourselves into these echo chambers to where, hey, I love right-wing conservative news, so I'm going to log into the AO, uh, OAN network, uh, Fox Entertainment. It's not news, so let's get it right. So Fox um, quasi-news. I can listen to the Daily Wire podcast with Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, um, you know, Nikki Haley, all of the, the big names that, you know, I can, I can buy their books, I can listen to their radio programs, I can watch their YouTube channels, I can listen to their podcasts, I can listen to their networks and literally have myself in an echo chamber that says, hey, this is who I am, this is what I think, yet your husband or wife or partner could literally be listening to CNN or MSNBC or CBC or NPR or um, CPAC and listening to totally different stuff of Janice Irwin and, and um, people like, you know, Debbie Millman and, you know, LGBTQ plus content of various creators out there. And so we literally have people, when we saw what took place with the trucker convoy just two years ago here in Canada with the insurrection that failed on the, the Capitol steps in America, 
where people are saying, look, I see the world in a different space. I see the world as falling to shit that the communists, woke, anti-capitalist mob is coming to take my, my, my beliefs, my guns, my Bible. And, uh, you know, and Trump's the only one to stop us. And there are people that are listening to more, more liberal, progressive type content thinking, hey, these guys are idiots. What the heck? <laughs> you know, like we're literally watching different um, content. We're watching different movies, different shows. And the danger to that is not only is that putting more wedges into people where we can't actually see where the other person is coming from, like literally, but it's also making it harder for people to have that shared experience. And so the idea that Michael Jackson moonwalked on, um, oh my gosh, was it on, um, soul, on, on, on an award show or when Nixon was found, you know, with Watergate or when Ronald Reagan told Gorbachev, tear down this wall or when the space shuttle um, blew up or when man landed on the moon, all of these things were, were done because everybody was looking at the same thing at the same time. When the Beatles went on the Ed Sullivan show, when Elvis Presley went on the Ed Sullivan show, when um, we found out when Martin Luther King died or John Lennon was shot, uh, when Malcolm X was murdered, like everybody was watching the same thing. Now we're all separated. Like I said before, I've been, I've been to parties, I've been to get-togethers where everybody at the table is looking at something different on their Instagram or Facebook or, or somebody's looking at something uh, unique or not, you know, not paying attention to what's going on at the table. And they're buying more and more into their own ideals, into their, into their own assumptions. It could be as easy to say... Oh, hey, well, you know, Obama really wasn't born in America. And wh what about his birth certificate? And, and hey, that Trudeau guy, you know, he's he's screwing over Alberta. And ah, Daniel Smith, like, I, I heard that she's really trans. And, ugh, you know, she's got the face of a, you know. And so, and, and so the discord, the discourse turns into disarray. We're not able to sit back and listen and the other aspect is that the villainization of people on the other side makes it so if you have a difference of opinion, be it with, let's say, abortion or gay rights or any of the hot button topic issues that get people all riled up and have people walking out of Christmas dinners, it makes it very difficult to have these conversations. And... There's, there's a real danger in, in all of us, I hope I'm using this word right, sort of like aggregating or separating our likes and entertainment to the things we all want to see. Regardless, there's something really democratic about actually having to say, okay, we're all in this house, we got one TV, we have to take a vote on what we're going to watch tonight. Well, heck, you don't have to do that anymore because if every kid has a has a tablet, like this is not actually that uncommon. I've, I've, I've heard what I'm about to describe here is that if you have a four to five person household, that everybody in that household would have a cell phone, would have a tablet, would have a laptop, would have a PC and their own TV in their perspective rooms or studies or basement suites or whatever. So the idea of everybody gathering around to watch a show and to have that shared experience is kind of gone. Even the idea of, and that extends to of sharing a meal together or, Hey, where are we going to go for da da da? You know, this vacation, how, how crazy would it be if everybody in the household, you know, did not have to have the same meal. I like chicken. I like pizza tonight. Mexican, da da da. There was no way in hell I could tell my mother, you know, she worked all, you know, worked all day cooking and slaving. And I come to the dinner table. Eh, you got pizza? I think I'll order a pizza. What do you, you want Mexican? Da, da, da. It's like, you're going to eat what's in front of you and you're going to like it. And so there was no way we could ever just, you know, like Harvey's have it your way. You know, you can have, you got to have it this way or you go to bed with nothing. 
And so the, the joy of choice has now made it so we're less, we're less connected than ever. And a, a lot of it was not, you know, some nefarious idea. It was just done because that's what the market wanted. Companies saw that and they were able to give that to people, you know? Like uh, Don Corleone said, you got to give uh, give the give the people an offer they can't refuse. And what's more empowering than to know, hey, I can watch what I want when I want to watch it on whatever device I can get my hands on, twenty four hours a day, three sixty five, uninterrupted. If you have a job or a vocation that allows you to have headphones in while you're doing your work, and just playing in the background or a podcast playing or a radio, you could literally be listening to right wing conservative, you know, bad policy um, and conspiracy theories 24 hours a day. Now, you can't tell me that listening to rhetoric that says that white people will be replaced with the great white replacement theory, that feminism is destroying the modern dating world and that um, uh, LGBTQ plus drag queen story hour at the library is going to groom children into wanting to be, you know, sex slaves and that pedophiles are coming to, you know, drink the blood of your children. It got so bad that when Pizzagate took place, which was a theory, a whacked out crazy theory that a pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., was had a basement where if you go in to order a large cheese pizza, that meant you were ordering a child on the side. Now, you say this to somebody at a party, and they'll start to back away a little bit because they'll look at you like you're crazy. But a man went in there with a gun, and I think I got the, the article here. He went in there with a gun and was ready to throw down. Um, So let me see. Pizza gate so let's see yes so pizzagate conspiracy theory uh pizzagate is a conspiracy theory that went viral during the 2016 united states presidential election cycle falsely claiming that the new york city police department had discovered a pedophile ring linked to members of the democratic party while searching through anthony weiner's emails i don't know who that is uh it has been extensively discredited by a wide range of organizations including the washington dc police on March, uh, in March 2016, the personal email account of John uh, Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign chair, was hacked in a spear phishing attack. WikiLeaks published his emails in, in November 2016. Proponents of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory falsely claimed the email contained coded messages that connected several high-ranking Democratic Party officials and U.S. restaurants with an alleged human trafficking and chi- with with an alleged human trafficking ring and child sex trafficking. One of the establishments allegedly involved was the Comet Ping Pong Pizza uh, Pizzeria in Washington D.C. Members of the alt-right conservative journal uh, alt-right conservative journalists and others who urged Clinton's persecution over her use of unrelated private email servers spread the conspiracy theory on social media outlets such as 4chan, 8chan, Reddit, and Twitter. In response, a man from North Carolina traveled to Comic Ping Pong Pizza to investigate the conspiracy and fired a rifle inside the restaurant to break the lock on a door to a storage room during his search. The restaurant owner and staff also received death threats from conspiracy theorists. Pizzagate is generally considered a pre- uh, predecessor to the QAnon conspiracy theory. It also, it also generated offshot conspiracy theories called Frazzle Drip. What the? Which involved Hillary Clinton participating in the ritual murder of a child. Pizzagate resurged in 2020, mainly due to QAnon. While initially it was spread by only the far right, it has been spread by teens on TikTok who don't otherwise fit a right-wing conspiracy theorist mold. The biggest Pizzagate spreaders on TikTok appear to otherwise be mostly interested in topics of viral dance moves and Black Lives Matter. The conspiracy theory has developed and become less partisan and political in nature, with less emphasis on Clinton and more on the alleged worldwide elite of child sex traffickers. So I could go on and on, but I think you get the point that this is the the all of all the bird shit craziness, bat shit craziness out there, that's the baddiest. But this gentleman actually believed that. Now I don't know how much time this guy got, but he was 
he was convicted for, you know, brandishing a weapon and endangering people's lives. And, uh, let me see, I could. Yeah, so, yeah, he came in, guns blazing. Oh, my gosh. It's just, what the hell, <laughs> you know? So, anyways, I'm not, I'm not even going to look this guy's name up because he's probably been locked up or whatever. But all that to say, this would have been something very, very, very difficult to have been given the light of day, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, the guy's name is Edgar Madison. There you go. And he pleaded guilty in March after entering the comic, uh, the pizza place. Let me just see. Yeah, he looks like a nut job. Um, he pled guilty to federal charges of assault with a dangerous weapon and transporting a firearm over state lines. The case was seen as a clear example of the potential real-world consequences of fake News during the sentencing hearing Thursday of 2000, uh, March of 2017, U.S. District Judge Kenesha Brown Jackson stressed that Welch's actions literally left psychological wreckage. The Associated Press said, "Oh, she's now a uh, Supreme Court justice. Way to go!" The unfounded Pizzagate internet rumor at the center of this case accused the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria of being the home of a satanic child abuse uh, ring cult. Involved top Democrats such as Hillary Clinton and speculation and fabrications tied to the bizarre conspiracy theory have been relentlessly circulated by politically motivated fringe sites as the two-way as the two-way has reported. Um, the defendant took it upon himself to act in what he believed would be a violent confrontation at the restaurant. The statement reads, Welch's unsuccessfully attempt to try to persuade friends to join him uh, probably led for them not going to jail. So, um, goodness gracious. So, yeah, um, whatever, man. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, by all of us buying into our own, our own ideologies, drinking our own Kool-Aid, it's, it's making us crazy. And I think there is something very, very, very kind of sad about that. During, uh, the theatrical run of Endgame and Infinity Wars, the Marvel opus to the world of the superhero genre in 2019, I remember sitting in a theater and watching this film and just being engulfed by the joy and the adulation and, dare I say, the fever pitch of excitement. And I don't think a movie franchise has stuck the landing, so to speak, as much as Marvel did during that time period. And what made it so great was the fact that, hey, we're all here watching this together. We're all laughing together. There's something therapeutic and almost, I don't want to say spiritual, but definitely cathartic about going into a, a theater, into a room with two, three hundred plus people and having the same experience. It shows us that we are far more connected by what brings us together than we are divided. And yes, there's issues out there that are just probably never going to go away as long as there's people. And obviously when it comes to family having various disagreements about stuff, things can get a little bit testy, a little bit heated. But nonetheless, we can... Um, we can, um, we can try to find common ground. And so when Captain America picks up, you know, Thor's hammer, a uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film, and is like, I could do this all day, you know, and, and then he hears in his ear calm, you know, Sam Wilson say, uh, on your left. And then you just start to well up and you see everybody show up there. And, or if you, if you were in the theaters, if you happen to have the, the uh, the joy of going to see Lord of the Rings, you know, Return of the King or the Twin Towers or the Fellowship. There's such a emotional depth to these films that if you're watching them with a group of people, you're going to have the same reactions. When you see Sam pick up Frodo 
and say, you know, I can't carry the weight, but I can carry you. I mean, that gets me every time. I mean, I'm balling like a, like a baby. And without those experiences, particularly in the theaters or on television or with music and radio and all that sort of stuff, we're just being pushed further and further away. Now, what is the, the solution? I don't really have one because there's a lot of times where my wife will be watching something and I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I'll watch something else. And I can, I could go down to my, uh, to my studio and, you know, got, have more screens than people in the house and you could watch, watch your own film or listen to some music or da da da. So it is, it is, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult and it's going to take us wanting to actually connect with one another. One of the, the most terrible aspects of this pandemic that we've just gone through and we're still kind of dealing with was obviously the health risks and the people that passed away was terrible. But on the other end, what was, you know, was a close second was the loneliness, was the level of isolation people felt. And the fact that we did not have the ability to have those shared experiences. You know, some of, some of the best stories I've had with friends and family was not at some big fancy dinner or at some, you know, some fancy dining experience or a, an expensive trip. It was literally sitting there after dinner just talking. It was going on a hiking trip or going for walks or, or um, going to a comic book shop or a, a store and we're all talking, talking about you know, the new upcoming Marvel movies. It, there, there's something that human beings need to have those shared experiences. Prisoners in Guantanamo Bay and under the Geneva Code for PLWs um, and war, like soldiers taken in war, deem it as a um, deem isolation as torture. When you want to punish prisoners in the criminal justice system, you put they put you in isolation. They put you in the box. You're not you're not permitted to be around other people. Now picture that. To punish criminals, people who have killed and violated people and, you know, robbed banks, to punish them, we remove you from other people. You're already away from society. We're now going to remove you from, you know, some of the most worst in society. Some who are, you know, looking to get back into, get reformed um, or are there, you know, due to no fault of their own. But for a large majority of them, there's, there's some people who've done some very bad things. And even in those cases, we, we deem isolation a punishment. And so I think in looking at the importance of culture and what it means to just experience it together, I think we're going to have to come to an, a place where individually within ourselves, we say, okay, we need to connect with other people. It's just not feasible to have a society that functions where people are saying, oh, I don't need to listen to this person because they're gay. I don't need to listen to this person because they're LGBTQ+, because they are a conservative, or because they're Christian, or a woman, or disabled, or, you know, have no political affiliation, or whatever the case is. If we're not willing to even do that, where are we going to be as a society? So I definitely feel that the movie theaters need to come back, the restaurants need to be at full force, you know, um, Areas where people travel, uh, concerts, you name it, where people are having shared experiences can definitely help us. Because one of the things I remember listening to with Eminem when he was talking about race relations uh, and the fact that he is one of the most famous uh, rappers, not just white rappers, but just just musical uh, forces of nature to ever pick up the mic, is that he said, and I repeat, hip-hop has done more for black and white relationships than the civil rights movement. Now, obviously, I don't believe that because the civil rights movement was was a hard-fought battle for people like myself to have the right to, to vote and to marry and to travel and to own property and land and businesses. But I believe what 
would be a better pronunciation of that is the civil rights movement was one step and you know hip hop and pop culture was able to show that hey uh, Michael Jordan here's a here's a black you know black player and he is one of the best in the world and there'd be people all over the globe wearing his t-shirt hey this Michael Jackson guy he sings like a dream he dances like insane and we all love him and he just happens to be black or hey this Bruce Lee guy He's, he moves faster than our cameras could actually catch. Oh, he but he happens to be happens to be Asian. Ah, huh, okay. Or um, this uh, this this person here. Oh, they just this Elton John character. Hey, he's, his music's amazing. And he just happens to be gay, right? Or it it showcases us when we really delve into into culture, pop culture in a way, that it's it's not something that's going to tear us apart. If anything, it brings us together and shows us, hey, we're we have we have the same level of ability. We have the same wants and needs. When you're watching a show like The Jeffersons or All in the Family or The Golden Girls or whoever, you know, the Gilmore Girls, whatever whatever you like, you know, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, most people want the same stuff. You know, they want to live in a place that's safe. They want to raise their families or, you know, engage in their hobbies and their, their likes and whatever they might, you know, come across. But for the most part, we're not, we're not as, as different as we think. And if we're not able to get to that, I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully, I mean, I, I got hope, you know, I've, I've got some level of optimism that uh, we can bring it back, bring it together. But time will tell. But just want to end it there. Just was uh, thinking about that. Uh, I think it's it was uh, something that I've been seeing in the news. So I just wanted to talk on it. But hopefully this was a episode that uh, gave you what you needed. You know? And um, like I said before, you can find us, the Marketplace of Ideas podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, from Google Play, Stitcher, uh, not Stitcher, sorry. Uh, Podbean, iTunes, we are there. Uh, we also got some stuff on YouTube, so check us out as well. And then look for our other podcasts, the uh, Adult Fitness Podcast, as well as the Strange Tales Podcast of Gods and Monsters. But until next time, take care, be good to one another out there, and keep your head on a swivel. Peace.